1: Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Good morning, folks. My name is Martin Shields, and I'm going to be your host today for Let's Talk Money. I'm sitting in for my colleague, Steve Boucher, and it's great to be here with you this uh, early Sunday morning. Not quite as nice as yesterday. We may have some rain, but I guess, you know, we've had such a great summer with all this sun, and you need some rain every once in a while for flowers and if you want green grass. So it's great to be here with you. And welcome back all of our weekly listeners and to any new listeners, it's great to have you. And I encourage you to call in with any of your financial planning or investment management questions. You can reach me at 1-800-825-5949. So go ahead and give me a call and we see, we'll see if we can get you some answers. Um, lots to discuss today. want to kind of go through some financial planning ideas that you can implement in your own personal situation. We'll discuss uh, the markets. And, uh, you know, just a few things that when we see um, meet with our clients, now it's uh, virtually it's not meeting with them in the office because of COVID, but, you know, a lot of different topics that come up, you know, are themes that we see pretty consistently. And so I think it's always good to share that with you, our listeners, to, you know, that you're aware of uh, the guidance that we're giving and and ways that you can implement these ideas in your own personal situation. So we'll uh, discuss that. But uh, kind of you know big news this week was uh, the GDP gross domestic product uh, being down nine and a half percent, which is really quite dramatic, largest decline ever recorded. and you know certainly expected, but when you see those actual numbers, uh, it's amazing and you know you still have unemployment in the 12, 13, 14 uh, percent, again another million plus people uh, claiming, Uh, or filing for unemployment benefits this week as well so some pretty dramatic numbers as far as the uh, economy is concerned but the markets uh, had another good week not quite uh, to all-time highs with the NASDAQ uh, but very close and with the S&P it was close to where we uh, hit the all-time highs after COVID Uh, we were up three or four percent in the beginning of the year but now we're up around one one and a half percent and that's kind of Around the the highest level that we've been in since COVID, so you know, really interesting that we continue to see uh, some strong direction in the markets, and you know, we get quite often asked the question, what's what's driving that, right? And you know, certainly as we've discussed in the show um, previously, you know, it's the Federal Reserve, it's the federal government, really providing support to the markets that is pushing it higher, but absolutely, as we saw with some of the earnings that came out. It's the mega cap companies, right? It is the amazons the facebook's uh <clears throat> you know the big companies that have strong balance sheets that whose business model in this environment you know many of these are tech companies uh doing very well, and you know they're making up a they make up a large portion of the nasdaq or the s and p so you know while there's many small companies that may be struggling or certain industries that may be struggling. Um, as long as these mega cap companies do very well, that's going to support, um, you know, the main indices, the, the S P 500 or or the Nasdaq or the Dow. Um, <clears throat> again, more small cap or mid cap type indices, they're going to be uh, certainly underperforming relative to, to that. But uh, you know, I think you're going to see this trend continue, and you know, it's going to be curious to see where we stand from an economic data perspective. Um, you know, with the COVID numbers not being great, uh, knock on wood that you know, here in New York State, we are still uh, keeping the numbers low, which is great to see. Uh, hopefully, that will continue. Um, I'm married, and we have three teenagers, so, you know, getting some guidance as to what school's going to look like, which is right now, I guess, at least two days of uh, having school in person, and then the rest, online learning, and uh, I don't know about any other parents out there, but... I'm hoping that we can uh, stay at least two days, if not more, in uh, in-person learning. the 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 whole online thing is is challenging. I think both for the students, even if they're good students, and for the teachers as well. So, I'm hoping that uh, that we're going to be able to keep some element of in-person learning and having those numbers low here in New York State. But as they go up in the rest of the country, you know, it's definitely impacting a lot of industries. And if those numbers continue to get worse, in particular, the hospitalization and uh, the death rate or number of deaths from that, uh, it's it's just going to be challenging to, to really restart the uh, economy. And, you know, the other thing that with the markets, they do look forward more six to nine months to a year out. So, uh, you know, they're really not discounting current earnings. They're discounting future earnings. So if we're in a situation where the vaccines that are coming out look very promising and it looks like they're going to be rolled out uh, from a national perspective in early 2021 you know that is what the markets are continuing to kind of look at right now so i hope for everyone's sake that 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 is the case and uh, you know we'll we'll see how it plays out though so a lot of uncertainty and then you know of course we have the election right and um uh, This could be a challenging election. Uh, So as far as uh, just these swing states and if there's a lot of mail-in ballots and whatnot, um, it could be an an interesting one, to say the least. So, you know, there's definitely, as we move forward over the next uh, six to nine months, a lot of uncertainty. You know, as we've mentioned to listeners on the show before, uh, as a firm right now, we are uh, underweight on our equity targets and uh, I've been with the firm for eight years this July, and, you know, it's really until last year, we were overweight on equity targets. So we, you know, if our equity target on a growth portfolio was 80% in equity, we were more like 86%, 87%. Whereas last year, around this time, we, we brought it back down to target. Uh, and in February, we brought it under target, and we continue to remain under target in our equity allocation just with some of the uncertainty. Uh, you know, it's we're we're a pretty bullish firm and we tend to really be uh, long-term investors and, and don't change our allocation too much. But, you know, I think it warrants it right now over the next few months as as things move through. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But interesting times uh, by all means. But uh, I encourage you to call in with any questions. You can reach me at 800-825-5949. So any questions on financial planning or investment management, give me a call. Um, One of the things that I mentioned on the show yesterday, on our our noon show, and I just want to bring it up is uh, it's something that I'm proud of, and in particular because of the teammates that we have, that uh, our firm was selected as one of 300 firms across the country by the Financial Times, which is a very prominent financial uh, uh, paper. And we were one of just 300 registered investment advisors to be selected as the top advisors in the country. And we were the only firm in upstate New York to be selected. Most of the other firms in New York were were downstate in around the city. And, you know, I I think this, from my perspective, is really a function of of the team members that we have. Just great folks that are always coming through and uh, just, you know, being able to provide high-level service. Uh, both on the client service side and with the uh, financial planning and everything that we do for our clients, and so it's a, a real honor to be selected as one of the top 300. And as I was looking at the uh, actual detail behind some of these firms, um, the the median size of these firms of the assets they manage is close to two billion dollars. Uh, our firm we manage over 600 million, but you know these are much much bigger firms uh, in general across the country that we're in that category with, and. Uh, so I'm I'm proud of that we were selected, and uh, again, to me, it's a it's actually a, f- a factor, a function of the great team members that we have, and and the great work they work they do with clients uh, on a day to day basis. So just just something to give kudos to our, our team members on 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 their hard work. Um, you know, the one thing that we want to talk about is you know we as a firm we do a lot of uh, a lot of. Financial planning with the clients, and that component is just is so important. When you start talking with individuals about all the moving pieces they have and how that intersects with their investments, the financial planning component is just so important. It really is something that we spend a lot of time having discussions. And again, now they're they're virtual uh, via Zoom or go to meeting or just over the phone. And but you know, making sure that 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 element of their life is is lined up correctly, uh, is so important. I mean, the investment piece is obviously important, but the two really go hand-in-hand with one another. And uh, those discussions, from my perspective, as, as we have them with our clients, are is so important. So I wanted to highlight some of the things that we're seeing in discussions with our clients. But before we do, I want to go to commercial break. So come back and join me as I continue those discussions and I take your questions. And again, you can reach me at 800 825 5949. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY 103.1 FM 810 AM. Welcome back, folks. For those of you just joining us, my name is Martin Shields, and I'm going to be your host today on Let's Talk Money, giving my colleague Stephen Boucher a break. And it's great to be here with you on this. Uh, August 2nd morning, and uh, again, we've got a, a little bit of a cloudy day, but uh, boy, we've had an amazing summer so far, so hopefully that will continue, but uh, I'm here to answer any questions you may have regarding your financial planning or investment management concerns, and you can reach me at one 800 talk wgi that's 800-825-5949. So one of the things that, again, I was mentioning on the show yesterday, and I do want to bring it up again today, just because it's so important, is uh, a discussion that we have a lot with a lot of clients on deferred comp, right? So what, what deferred uh, comp, comp is, uh, sometimes known as a 457B plan, uh, is the ability to put away money in addition quite often to a 401K or a 403B, uh, not pay any taxes on it, put it into account, and in, in different ways have it grow. It could be in a diversified portfolio, and sometimes it's in a company stock. And again, it can be for... A publicly traded company, it can be for a nonprofit, and New York State has a deferred comp plan as well um, but what what uh, happens with that is when you leave the organization or you retire, uh, you can potentially move that money or you take it as a distribution and what I want to highlight here is that deferred comp until you actually remove it from the organization uh, it's not qualified, and what that means is it is liable to be uh, go at that. The creditors of that organization can go after it if there's a problem. And you know, in most cases, this is not a big deal, right? If certainly if you're got def- deferred comp from New York State, I think that's uh, not much of a risk. And even with many uh, organizations that are in good financial health, uh, you know you don't have to worry about something happening from a bankruptcy perspective and, and uh, you know creditors uh, going after assets. But there can be situations, whether it be a public corporation or a nonprofit, where there is an issue with their financial health, and that can beca- can become a problem uh, with bankruptcy or creditors with those assets. And those deferred comp plans are uh, potentially assets that the creditors can go after, right? So that's something you need to be aware of if you're putting money into those plans, that until you take it out, uh, it is not a secure asset. And and I, I want to highlight the difference between a qualified plan, like a 401K or a 403B, where those assets, when you put them in, that's your dollars. They can never be... Uh, uh, Gone after by creditors of that organization, so those are secure, those are safe, but a deferred comp plan that can happen so in particular, you know in this time of if for some nonprofits where there can be some financial stress, just being aware of, because here 's the other caveat that many people uh, aren 't aware of, is if you 're putting money into a deferred comp in a four hundred fifty seven plan with a nonprofit, <clears throat> that cannot be rolled over in most cases, to another deferred comp plan. Uh, So, and it cannot be rolled over to an IRA as well. So the only thing that can happen is you take a distribution from that, in which case you're paying taxes on that distribution. So, um, whereas with a deferred comp plan with New York State, that can get rolled over to an IRA. Um, So these nuances you have to be aware of when you're putting money into accounts and, you know, just kind of assess the risk and uh you know again for many people it's it's a great option allows them to lower the tax uh, uh, rate and burden and also defer that money until when they need it when they retire but you got to be aware of what the situation is and just assessing the risk so just something to highlight but folks if you have any questions feel free to give me a call you can reach me at 800-825-5949 uh, so it, as I've talked about before, you know, our firm works with many uh, 401k plans, and we're, we're a fiduciary in those plans. Uh, we're what's called a 338 investment manager. So what that, that means is we have full discretion uh, by those plans to select the, the investments, monitor the investments, and give their, uh, the investment committee and the trustees guidance or, or what we're going to do. And they are basically delegate that whole responsibility to us but the other part that we're involved with is with the plan participants, where again, we're a fiduciary for those plan participants, so we can give them specific guidance regarding their uh, financial or investment. Uh, questions, Not just general education guidance, which is what many advisors can only do, but we can actually talk about their specific situations. We can talk about what we'd actually recommend for them uh, with their 401k allocation. And even, you know, what accounts to put it in or even outside questions from that they have regarding their financial concerns. Those are the discussions we have with the, uh, the 401k participants. But one question that we quite often get is, you know, should I contribute to a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k? Because many times plans have those both those options. So with the traditional 401k, you're going to put in pre-tax dollars. It's going to grow tax-deferred. And then when you retire, you're going to take those dollars out. And now with a Roth 401k, just the opposite, right? Those are post-tax dollars. meaning mean, you've already paid taxes on it. It's going to grow tax-free, right? And when you pay, take that money out, there's no taxes on it. So... Both are are great options. Really, the the metric that you're going to be using or what you're going to be looking at to make that decision is, are you in a higher tax bracket now than you will be when you retire, right? That's that's the kind of the equation that you're looking at it. If you're in a higher tax bracket now, the pre-tax dollars, the traditional 401k, tends to be a better option, right? Uh, Forgo paying the taxes now and pay them later when you retire. Uh, if you're going to be in a lower tax bracket now than you are when you retire, then you do the Roth 401k. So kind of, you know, rule of thumb is if you're early in your career, just starting off, the Roth 401k is a great option. Now, the only downside with that is that you are uh, not getting the pre-tax benefit in your cash flow. So you're going to notice it dollar for dollar. Whereas if you're doing the traditional 401k, uh, you're not, you're getting that discount um, right now. So when you put that that dollar in, it's not a dollar for dollar notice in your cash flow because, let's say, 20, 25 cents of that dollar, you are paying in taxes. So, again, it just uh, doesn't impact your overall cash flow as much, but would really recommend that if you're early in your career, go ahead, put the dollars into the Roth, um, and as you get into the higher income uh, 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 earning of your career, that to start transitioning into uh, the traditional, uh, pre-tax dollars. And, you know, that would be, I would say in the neighborhood, it depends if you're a single tax filer or married filing filing jointly. But, you know, as you start getting up, if you're in the 200 to $300,000 in adjusted gross income, that's when you start to transition in more towards the, um, the pre-tax. Now, the one comment I will make is any contributions that are made by an employer, Excuse me. So that is any uh, safe harbor contribution they they provide or any profit sharing. Those are always pre-tax, right? So if you're fortunate enough to be in a plan that has a large employer contribution, you still want to may put some into a Roth because all their dollars that they put in uh, will be pre-tax, right? Those are always pre-tax traditional traditional dollars. They will never go into the Roth. Account, So just something to be aware of and, you know, be thinking about that because it does matter over the long run. And what I will tell you is, you know, having a large Roth account when you retire is fantastic, right? So all those dollars, they're tax-free. When we do financial planning for those circumstances, it is just a a great situation when you see a client that has – a lot of money in a roth because from a planning perspective you know if you've got three hundred thousand dollars in there you don't have to discount it for uh, the taxes they're going to, have to pay on the distribution that's money right right then and there they can go out and be used for for cash flow purposes so really a, a great situation and, and something to uh, to really be thinking about as you're making decisions as to where to put those dollars one other thing I want to talk about before we go to break here is uh, is from a <clears throat> engagement perspective if you're married out there uh as far as getting both spouses involved with the investments for your household and the financial planning so we see this a lot with clients coming in you know quite often you know can be either way can be the husband or can be the wife is is usually the lead on um you know the the investments on you know kind of ordinary thing, everything from a savings perspective and that's 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 normal um <clears throat> but you know, I think it's so important that the other spouse um, also at least be engaged and educated, right? You need to know what is going on and, and, and try to have an idea as to um, kind of how everything comes together, how you're invested, um, what's going to make you feel comfortable. In particular, you know, you may have, uh, you know, accounts in your name that, um, again, maybe your your husband your wife is, is taking care of as far as how they're invested or trying to understand from a planning perspective how it all comes together. But, you know, the problem is that, uh, you know, life happens. And, you know, you may be in a situation where that spouse is no longer in the picture, it can be through divorce um, and or could be through passing away. And, you know, I tell you, there's nothing that's more difficult is to, you know, having to deal with <clears throat> a spouse that is recently divorced or, uh, you know, a spouse that just Lost their partner, and you know them trying to come to terms and understand the the finances situation, um, and they haven't been paying attention and been involved previously. It, you know those are very difficult conversations, and you know I think it's worthwhile to to spend the time uh, you know w- w- right now and and get to an understanding of what that picture is, and you know hopefully if you're working with an advisor they're going to spend the time to go through that with you. That, that From our perspective, you know, that's something we really try to, to make sure that both spouses um, are in the planning meetings, that they, they go through and when we're talking with them, you know, we're talking with both those spouses and, and trying to engage them from a question perspective that, you know, both of them feel comfortable uh, with how the plan's set up, how the investments are allocated because you know from an investment perspective in particular you know we see it all the time you know one spouse may be more aggressive they might be fine with a, a growth allocation the other spouse you know they're they're not quite that uh, comfortable with that and they want to be in a different allocation or the other element is you know, they, maybe they're not comfortable with it because they're not educated as to what does it mean to be a long-term investor. So again, from our perspective, we try to spend a, a lot of time with with both spouses to make sure the questions are are answered, that they do feel comfortable with that. That is just you know, from our view, just a great way to make sure that as a household, um, they're they're both of that same mindset, and you know, it just makes life easier if something happens, and that's where it's just so important that you have those conversations, and you have them now versus later, right? Because when, when you're in the midst of a, a crisis, it's a really difficult time to be having that and, you know, the emotional elements of where that person is really dominates everything and they're not really that concerned about uh, the financial piece, but they, they have to be, right? They, when they're the only one there after that crisis situation, they, they have to be involved. Well, folks.
0: Hey, don't forget the Johnsons are coming over. I want to find a rosé Jill hasn't tried yet.
1: Let's go exploring at Total Wine. Their prices are ridiculously low. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. ¿Por qué esta Coca-Cola
0: de McDonald's sabe tan bien? ¿Será la máquina? ¿Será el popote o el hielo? O oh, quizás soy yo. <laughs>
1: No sé, Diego, pero vámonos, ¿no? ¿El por qué esto sabe tan bien, Dio? Un refresco de cualquier tamaño por un dólar, solo en el One Two Three Dollar Menu de McDonald's. Precios y participación pueden variar. No se puede combinar con cualquier otra oferta o cambio. Mi Coca-Cola es una marca registrada de The Coca-Cola Company. We're going to go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue the discussion. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY. Good morning, folks. For those of you just joining us, my name is Martin Shields, and I'm going to be your host today for Let's Talk Money. I'm sitting in for my colleague, Stephen Boucher, and it's great to be here with you. Looking out the window, we got a little bit of a cloudy day, and I was thinking it's, you know, the problem with cloudy days during COVID is things that you might normally do. I mean, go to a movie, go to a a bookstore, or go to a coffee shop and hang out a little bit. You you can't do. Uh, Those things are obviously not things you want to be doing for an extended period of time. we can not uh, always just uh, be at the house uh, I've got three teenagers and my wife, so be together as a family which is great but uh you know definitely uh you know one day of rain is great, but uh you know you get multiple days of rain and you're kind of back to where you were in the the deep quarantining uh times and uh you know I think everybody gets needs their space so you know we've been fortunate to have such great sunny days uh this summer so Hopefully, that will continue and we get to enjoy the outdoors uh, and appreciate an upstate New York summer. So we'll see how that goes. But if you have any questions, feel free to call in with those questions. You can reach me at 800-825-5949. And uh, you know, before we went to break, was talking about the importance of, uh, as a couple, uh, both spouses being engaged uh, in their financial situation and, and what that means in particular, to be prepared for uh, you know, a time of crisis where you know there's a health issue with one of them, or there's a divorce, or something like that, and it's just I cannot stress the importance of that because you you don't want to have that situation that your spouse is is trying to go through something and, and deal with it, uh, or be that spouse if, if you're not the one who's engaged uh, on it, after that kind of crisis situation. It's just uh, it can be challenging. Um, but also wanted to kind of talk about some other things that we're seeing with uh, clients and, and being brought up. One of them, and we've, we've talked about it on the show before, but um, is this concept of, of opening a defined benefit uh, plan for your small business, right? And quite often it can be an individual that um, in their business themselves, they make a, make a lot of money, have a lot of cash flow, and they're looking to lower their tax rate. And so the concept behind this is, um, you know, if you have a small business, you're going open a 401k plan. And, um, you know, with that 401k plan, you can, you know, th- for 2020 with uh, the employee piece and the employer piece, you could put away $57,000. So that's a lot of money from a pre-tax perspective uh, or potentially depending on how you have it set up, you could do some of that with a Roth uh, 401K, but again, substantial amount of money that you can save um, with both the uh, profit sharing and the employee contribution, uh, which for 2020 is 19500 plus the $6,500 catch-up amount, so total, if you're 50 or older, so total amount for the employee amount can be $26,000. Um, this is for a 401K plan, but Total fifty-seven thousand. But with the five-benefit plan, it's basically a pension plan, right? So a pension plan that you know a company like uh, GE or uh, National Grid or Verizon would have, uh, and you know with that pension plan uh, under those companies, you know it becomes basically a, a, a new out and I'm sorry, an annuity payout uh, that happens when you retire. And now there's also lump sum amounts that those companies are giving if you uh, make that selection. But the way that this is set up is same concept, really, right, which is you're going to put additional money away pre-tax. And for the owner of that business, it can be sometimes as much as two hundred dollars to $250,000. Uh, that's all all those dollars pre-tax in addition to some amount um, through the 401k plan. So it may not be the full $57,000, but let's say it's $40,000 through the 401k and profit sharing, and then another 150 to 250 thousand dollars uh, pre-tax through the pension or defined benefit plan. And now, if you have employees, uh, you're going to have to make those contributions for it to some capacity, right? To some capacity uh, for your employees. And yes, it is dollars that are out of your pocket, but you know. It is definitely the benefit to the owner can be significant. And also, it's a great benefit, uh, employee benefit for your employees. And, uh, you know, you think about it, you're really in that situation. If you're putting those dollars in and they're putting money into the 401k as an employee, you're putting a profit sharing amount into their uh, 401k for them. And then uh, you have a defined benefit plan that you're putting in. It's, boy, they're they're really in a great spot, and they're going to be well prepared for retirement. And it's a, an employee retention tool, uh, you know, to have those types of benefits, especially as a small company. And we see this, that small companies do this uh, if they've got sufficient cash flow, right? So that's what you really need is, you know, if there's sufficient profits in the organization and the owner is – or owners are trying to limit some of their tax liability – this is a great way to do it and you know when you uh, decide to retire or close the business or sell the business, all those dollars and this is true for the employees as well all those dollars can get rolled into an IRA right so um, you know it, it's a great situation that you know for anywhere from you know five years to 20 years that you know that owner that has that sufficient amount of cash flow, can uh, prevent it from having to pay taxes on it uh, right then and there, and and as we just discussed, you know, roll into an IRA, and then at some point down the road when they retire, uh, you know, use that those distributions from the IRA to to live off of, and it can be a very powerful uh, both uh, tool to limit your taxes uh, as a small business owner, but also a very powerful tool to prepare yourself for retirement. So. Definitely something to consider. Uh, Defined benefit plan for small business owners. You know, it's not something that will work for every small business certainly, but for for certain ones that uh, just again, that usually the element is sufficient cash flow that you know you can uh, afford to, you know, you put 150 or 200 thousand dollars pre-tax in and an owner that really is in a very high tax bracket uh if they're in the top marginal tax bracket that's where this situation is going to work the best but if you have any other questions uh, feel free to give me a call you can reach me at 800-825-5949 so you know one of the things that we talked about is you know in this covid environment um just being thankful for if you have a job uh, if you um, have your health uh, it's just things that you sometimes sometimes take for granted but you know you realize there's a lot of folks out there that you know they are either don't have a job or they're working few hours uh, you know, could be a small business owner and you're uh, incomes down substantially, depending on where your what industry your business is in, and so there's a lot of people out there that really are hurting a lot. And even with the support from the federal government, you know, in some cases it makes up for it, but in other cases it does not. And you know, lives are impacted uh, in in for families. And so we talked about the importance of thinking about charities that. Um, you know, to help those individuals we were talking about yesterday about the regional food bank and food pantries uh, in the capital region that that really provide a great service for those uh, individuals and families that are hurting. but one of the things that, you, that we want to discuss too is how do you put d- dollars away uh, from a charitable perspective uh, in the in a manner that actually can provide some tax benefit given the changes in the deduction rules. Uh, where now, for many people, their charitable deductions, they, they can't deduct them, right? Uh, they're, under, they're taking the standard deduction for their taxes, so what they used to deduct for their uh, charitable contributions, uh, they can't do anymore. So there's there's two main ways that we recommend. Uh, one is for individuals that are taking required minimum distributions, the charitable qualified distribution, the QCD, uh, where instead of taking that money as Income that they uh, have that RMD go to a charity and then they don't pay any taxes on it. So really, it's a great way. When if you have an RMD, you have a required minimum distribution, where rather than taking if you don't need that money and pay taxes on it, uh, if you already have some charitable interest to have it go to the nonprofit. Now the the kind of the caveat with that this year is there are no uh, RMDs required minimum distributions for both. Uh, IRAs and inherited IRAs so not necessarily a need you can still do the QCD right you can still have that money get moved over uh, to to a charity and not pay taxes on it but it doesn't you don't have to do it like you did in other years where you have the RMD so that may change the equation a little bit but the other idea is what we call charitable bunching right and uh, this is a really technical term for it. Uh but what that is is <clears throat> if you give money on an annual basis and there's you know a, a sizable amount to a number of different charities, what you can do if you have the cash flow available is um, rather than spread it out over multiple years, you can move those dollars up so let 's say you you 're looking at you know you know providing on average let 's say the three or four main charities uh about you know two or three or four thousand dollars annually. Well, what you can do is bunch it up and move five years up until this year. And so you're going to put in around <clears throat> ten to $15,000 into a donor advised fund, right? So what that is, and, and a lot of the big custodians, Schwab has them, Fidelity, Vanguard, what it is is basically just a, it allows you to put make a charitable contribution for that full amount, that $10,000, <clears> excuse me, and then you can make distributions from that fund to these charities so the what the plan is with this is you get your because you're going to be contributing now <clears throat> 10 or 15000 dollars whereas it might be large enough for you to take the deduction when you file your taxes and and that was not the case if you're only giving let's say 2 or 3 or 4000 dollars annually but now if you're going to contribute 10 to 15000 dollars upfront in this year so combining you know 3 4 5 years of charitable contributions now that's large enough that you can take the deduction, and then what you do is just throughout the years, the next three or four years, you can have that money invested, and, uh, and in usually you know have a, a list of different funds you can invest in in the market, and then you can just you uh, you know you have to be able to contribute to a charitable fund that is a 501c3 entity, uh, and it's got to be on the list for these financial institutions, but most. You know, reputable uh, 501c3s are, and they'll make the contribution for you, and uh, it's a great way to get the deduction, uh, you know, for, you gotta, but the only caveat to this is you gotta have, um, I would say, you know, two or three or four large charities that you contribute to, or uh, large donations that you make annually, to be able to bunch those up. That's, that's really, and the, the other caveat of this is you have to have the available cash, to move them up to this year versus having them spread out over, you know, three or four or five years because otherwise, <clears throat> if you don't have the cash flow, you're not going to be able to do that, obviously. But, you know, really is a great strategy to be able to get to the deduction from a tax perspective, get it into a fund that you can grow. And, you know, the other thing to view this is is from a family perspective, you know, this can be something that you put into this fund and you can contribute to it, and it becomes a almost like a foundation for your family that you can engage, you know, kids and grandkids uh, in different with different charities that maybe as a as a larger family you want to support. So it really, is something that I would cons- have uh, families and individuals that have uh, both charitable interest and some additional cash flow to to be looking at uh, as a great way to both continue to to support charities, but also potentially uh, get a tax benefit for for doing so. Well, folks, we're going to go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue the discussion. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM, 810 AM. Welcome back, folks. For those of you just joining us, my name is Martin Shields. And I'm sitting in for my colleague, Stephen Boucher, to be your host today on Let's Talk Money. And it's great to be here with you on this Sunday summer morning. And I encourage you to call in with any questions you may have regarding your financial planning or investment management concerns. And you can reach me at 800-825-5949. That's 800-825-5949. Um, so we're just going through some uh Charitable giving ideas that you can get uh, use to maybe still get a tax deduction. Um, another idea that I want to kind of uh, bring out there uh, for discussion is uh, the idea of, um, I guess, we call it value proposition, right? So in our, and actually, it's in any industry. Right? It is a consumer when you're buying something. There's both the cost of that item, and then there's the value that's provided. And then what you do as a consumer, I, I say this as an economist, because you don't realize you're doing this, but this is what you do. Uh, everyone does. Is that you're evaluating uh, both the cost of what you're paying and uh, the service or the product, and then you're saying, is that worth it? What's that value proposition, right? Because you know you think about it. Which is even if you're getting something at a discount, if there's no, if the service doesn't warrant it it's not worth it, right? You're, not, you're like, well, great, I got a discount on it, but like, it's, it's not uh, worth it. So in order to understand what a value proposition of anything is that you purchase as a consumer, you need to know both the cost, right? You can't understand, hey, is this service worth it uh, without knowing the cost, and you need to understand what truly is that value element, right? You be able to need to d- uh, discern uh, what that value element is and uh you know so in our industry you know it's been it's been problematic in the past to the extent that a lot of times uh companies weren't telling you what you were being charged right there was a lot of fees that you're paying and and that you weren't aware of it so you know one of the things that we always encourage individuals is to really understand what are you paying uh for your service right and that's where kind of having this fee-only model uh, where you know uh, what you're paying, whether it's a percent of assets or some flat fee, that allows you to understand the cost, and that's a very important component. Uh, and then there's the value prop- proposition piece, the service piece, that you need to determine as well. But I'm going to go into a discussion of that, but first I'm going go to go to the call lines. We have Linda from Albany. Linda, are you there?
0: Yes. Hi. How are you?
1: Good. How are you doing this morning?
0: I'm, I'm well. How are you? Good. Um, I had a question. Um, I know with the whole COVID thing that the federal government has um, passed some kind of law that if you needed to take some money out of your IRA or Roth IRA, that you could do that with um, not um, getting the 10% penalty. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yes, yes. So you can take up to $100,000 per person, uh out of your IRA or 401k uh, if it's in a 401k the plan has to allow it to happen not all plans will allow it and it, you can actually take it as a loan as well but again the plan has to allow it but we'll just kind of focus on IRAs with with an IRA you can take it out um and then you have up to 3 years to put it back and now the th- the caveat with that is you're gonna ha- you have up to three years to pay the taxes on it as well. But if you don't put it back by the end of this year, you're gonna have to pay part of that taxes now, and you still have three years to put it back. But you are gonna have to refile your taxes uh, to to if you do put it back. Um, but yeah, you can take up to a hundred thousand dollars and uh, have that three years to to roll it back in. And there's no penalty uh, on that if you're under age 59 and a half. Um, But, again, you would, over the next three years, have to pay income tax on it if you don't put it back.
0: Okay. So there's really not a 10%. So they're really not giving you that free 10% uh, penalty-free thing. You have to pay it back is what you're telling me.
1: No, no, so let me clarify. The the 10% penalty is definitely waived, right? You are absolutely not paying that uh, that penalty if you 're under and a fifty nine and a half which you would normally pay right, so that right, is absolutely right. waived, but the income tax is not waived, right, so you will pay that if you don 't roll it back and and here 's the the other caveat to that is you have three years to roll it back, but they 're going to assess uh, one third of the taxes over that three year period, meaning that if you don 't have a f- uh, pay back by the end of this year you 're going to get get assessed one third of the taxes for 2020, for the amount you took out, the another third in 2021, and then the final third in 2022. and But again, if you pay back at any time over that three-year period, you get all your taxes back, but, but you will have to amend your taxes in order to account for that. So it gets a okay, little bit so complicated.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. See, I have an emergency um, financial situation with my car. So uh, that's that's what's prompting me to think about taking it out right now because I have no other money to access, um, and due to the whole COVID thing, I, in the beginning I did my hours were cut, so um, I, I yeah, really I don't I don't know where where else to turn right now.
1: Sure, because that is the requirement that you do have to show that you were impacted by COVID. So it sounds like you may be able to do that, that you show that your hours were impacted. The only thing I would tell you is this should be the absolute last resort, right? Because, you, you know, if you're taking this money out, this is your retirement money. And, you know, it's sometimes it's going to be difficult to put it back. So I don't know if you have, you know, do you own a home? Yes, I do. You know, I don't know if you can, you know, get a whole monthly line of credit uh you know something else beyond i you know I really try to stress to people that this is you know you've exhausted every other channel there is no other option than yes this is this is something that's out there that's available uh, and you know certainly better than it would have otherwise been with a ten percent penalty but it really okay. should be you've you've exhausted every other channel
0: one other question before I let you go i've yep. been um I first um, put some money in the stock market when I was 50. I'm close to 59 and a half, not there yet. Yep. Um, due to everything that's happened recently, am I better off just leaving my money in there? The, rather than, because I don't want to get nervous about taking it out, especially with the coming elections. Am I just better off leaving it in there over the course
1: of time? Yeah. Again, the the idea is you're a long term investor, right? And in short term volatility, like we saw in March, and we may see some, you know, in the in the fall. If you're a long term investor, you're not going to change your course of action. You know, the only question is. So I assume this is in an IRA, correct?
0: Yes, I have. I have. Yeah, I have a Roth.
1: Yeah. So I
0: have. um, I have have, um, a little bit in a leftover. Non-Roth IRA from a former job.
1: Okay. So two things. One is, yes, keep your investment course the same. Do not change at all. Uh, but now with the Roth, if you take that money out, you're not going to have to worry about the tax element, right? And and so it, it's a little bit more straightforward as far as filing taxes. So So that's something to consider if you want to access that money. Um, mm-hmm. but, but as far as your investment allocation, stay the course. You're going to get through this, and uh, don't, don't worry about it. Now, the only caveat I would also say is you know, make sure it's something that you're comfortable with as far as what your stock-to-bond ratio is in any circumstance, right, mm-hmm. that, you know, that it works for you, but I wouldn't change it because of what, what could be short-term volatility.
0: Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. It was good talking to you. Have a good day now. So, yep, yeah, it's, uh, it's important, folks. Uh, if, you, if you have questions on this, you know, as far as the, um, the COVID piece, you know, definitely talk to a CPA because it's complicated, uh, and you want to make sure you get the right advice. Well, folks, it was great to be here with you today. Uh, hopefully you got your questions answered, and please come back and join us next week. You are listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM, 810 AM.
0: Worried about mom or dad falling? The Symphony Medical Alert System from CVS Health helps make their home safer, even if you can't be there. Symphony works with voice activation or a care button they can opt to wear, along with smart sensors for coverage around the home. With 24-7 emergency response and an app to tie it all together, you can monitor your loved one's well-being for enhanced peace of mind. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more about Symphony at cvs.com symphony or find it at your nearest CVS Health Hub.